Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. We'd like to have as a theme this year, I'd, I'd rather call it Christ over anything instead of just Christ over COVID. We've got enough stuff, don't we, in the world today to antagonize and be a conflict in our walk with Jesus Christ. It just seems like you can't say hello anymore without somebody bringing up something of fear, something that diminishes our walk with Christ, something that that challenges us and to make us wonder if really the king is on his throne. So let's just live this next year just confidently saying, Christ over anything. Family, we have, we have a great privilege, and we come back to our, our time in Mark, and I think that that's just an important time. And, and if I could say that January 2nd is even the perfect time, possibly this next year it will even be more perfect, as next year, we warn you, Church will be on January 1st morning, all right? Teenagers, you will be celebrating midnight at 9 o'clock next year. Church family, you of a certain age, you can go to bed any time after dinner, but we're going to be worshiping together next year, January 1st. Put it down. Make certain you're here. Let's have some clunking going on in that first service and the first song of the service. But today is a great day because we can look and ask ourselves if our worldview is in line with Christ's worldview. And, and so I want to I remind you afresh, no matter what that is, uh, it, it doesn't need to be a New Year's resolution, but I think that this early part of the season allows you to ask one tough question. Does my worldview align with Christ? Do I think like Christ? Do I have the hope of Christ? Do I put my confidence in Him when I see, when I watch, and I read things that may be contrary to a walk with God that's positive. And so that, that begins your, your, your first question for yourselves this year. Secondly is, is, how am I going to enhance that? How am I going to make that better, enriched, more mature? And so therein is where your New Year's resolutions begin, is after you've made that spiritual reality, you then ask yourselves, okay, how can I enhance and enrich that? And that might be a read through the Bible. It might be a read through the New Testament. For some who, who haven't been in it and see it as imposing, that might be 10 verses a day. But you look down and you say, you know, I'm going to make an, an effort not to read it so that I can check a box off to say I've accomplished this, but to look down and say, I'm going to read to enhance my confidence that Jesus Christ has power over anything in my life. 
He has preeminence over anything in my life. And I want you to understand that if we were to come back, and as we see in Mark 4, especially this morning, that's exactly where we're at, is the preeminence of Jesus Christ. You see, Mark is writing to the believers in Rome. Let me bring us back to date where we're at. He sends good news to them from a crucified criminal, Jesus Christ. And that good news is far more powerful, far more wonderful, far more personal than the good news that the Caesar could ever send them. The good news is the kingdom of God is here now because Jesus is here. And as Jesus said, repent and believe. So family, uh, let's set the stage. From chapter 1 to chapter 3, Jesus immediately begins preaching. And the impact is incredible. And I, I wish you and I could, could have been uh, witnesses at that time. But can you imagine as he goes out and he begins a ministry that heals? People haven't seen anything like that. And he simply walks into town and he heals. He walks into town and exercises demons. He walks into town and now he begins to preach and tell them things like the kingdom is here and everybody begins to ask the question, is this the Messiah? Is this the one we've been waiting for? Could this be the one? Now against that, tension slowly arises. And any of you who remember Mark 4, you remember when that first curve begins. The roof gets opened. And there a paraplegic man comes down from the roof, dropped by friends. And Jesus looks up to him and says, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders in that town look in and they say, wait a second. And what was going on merely in their mind, Jesus turns and says, what's easier? To forgive? Or to heal a man? Well, it's easy to say one thing, but it's easy to pull, or it's harder to pull off a healing. And Jesus announces, take up your bed and walk. He says this so that they know one thing, that Jesus Christ has the power to forgive sins. And now the line's drawn. Jesus won't accept their understanding of tradition. So what do they do? They turn on him and say, well, he has the power given to him by Satan, by Beelzebub to do this. He says, you, 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 you claim that, you'll never, ever know forgiveness. Mom and dad, or excuse me, mom at least, and family begin to look and say, well, wait a second. We need to have a family intervention. And essentially, if you read the text as we, we close out chapter 3, you're just going to simply recognize the family thought him nuts. Jesus has lost his mind. And family, that's the turning point where we come today to the first of the parables, the parable that you know is the parable 
of the seed or the parable of the sower. Sometimes you've heard it as the parable of the soils. And we come here today and our whole goal is to understand why this happens and why he's going to teach with a parable. But it is against that backdrop that you understand that that Mark puts it here right now. So let me read the parts about parables themselves, if you will. Join with me. We're going to see first Jesus teaches with parables. He's going to read, I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, then we're going to jump ahead to verses 10 through 12. Have your Bibles along just so that you can mark them and and discuss it throughout the week. And if you don't have your Bible, you'll have it next week. But join with us on screen. Notice what it says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and and a very large crowd gathered about him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, now skipping ahead to verse 10, and when he was alone. So let me remind you, here he's by the sea. He preaches a parable. We'll acquaint ourselves a little bit with it in a moment. But his disciples didn't get it. So now he's off by himself and he has a chance to talk to them and listen to what he says. Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and that they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So I want you to understand, let's, let's, let's talk about parables. Parables are a teaching style Um, without parallel in his time. There were other parables. Jesus stands at the zenith of teaching parables. We've not found any other author. We've not found any other communicator from the time of Christ or going back into the ancient world that would use parables more effectively. Parables aren't really meant to be studied all right? They're meant to be heard. They're a, they're a teaching style that really tries to break through any of the clutter of your mind. And if you will, they're a mental gut punch. And what I mean by that is they're supposed to tick you off. They're supposed to make you upset. And they move your thought process or your worldview away from what you think is right, and he disturbs it, or the communicator disturbs it. And in that disruption, you're now able to have a conversation because you're not thinking your thoughts, your attitudes, your hopes, your fears. You're thinking in an entirely different way because in that moment, you've been completely disrupted. 
That's the thought of a parable. They're not designed to have excessive thought behind them. They're to be heard and in in hearing them to be evaluated. So Jesus comes in and his goal is to make them think. And in doing so, he will condemn them in public. If I could take you to Matthew 21 today, and I won't, but I will by imagination, he teaches a parable about, if you will, the bad farmers who rent a piece of property. And as Jesus is telling them to the very men who have condemned Jesus to die, they realize that that parable is about them in particular. And as he tells them, and he is speaking it to them right in front of them, they realize they can't do anything about it because everybody in the crowd sees him as a prophet of God, and he wants them to know, I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. And what you're doing is not only against me, but it is against God and God's plan. So these are designed to upset you. They are designed to make you think in your seat. So that's our idea. That's our goal. So to appreciate the parable of the sower or the seeds or the soils, remember the growing frustration. Jesus is being accepted as Messiah on one side, but there's this growing movement that sees him as blasphemous and as heretical and as nuts on the other. And that's been the first three chapters that you've come together with. He comes and starts this fourth chapter, and these two groups are being polarizing to the community. But I want you to understand Jesus knows, and he's going to be addressing them in these two groups. He's going to say to one group, to you, and then he's going to identify the other group to those. And you'll hear it in your reading. You'll recognize that it's going on. You see, the followers are getting the members-only truth. They're the members, and they get their truth supernaturally. They get the secret of the kingdom of God. The secret of the kingdom of God is the secret of the person of Jesus. Family John 8 would have said it this way in verse 47. Whatever is of God, or excuse me, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you don't hear them is that you are not of God. You see, you get the teachings of a pastor or a teacher. But if the truth doesn't hit your heart or demand a reaction to the truth, you may not grasp the truth. I had a friend of mine who was a a chaplain years and years ago for a professional baseball team. And he couldn't believe the relationship that he had with one of the, one of the, the players. 
And as, as he would tell the story, this player could, could, by memory, go from one piece of Scripture to another piece of Scripture to another piece of Scripture and just lay out verse after verse after verse after verse. And then his behavior was the most perverse on the whole team. And he would just explode in laughter and just say, See, Rev, we all get the truth. Well, that's the point here. He sat in Sunday school as a kid, and he learned all of these great verses. Not once did he hear or understand the truth that was being offered him. And there will be many who sit in church week in and week out, and they will struggle with understanding and identifying true truth. Because ultimately, truth will be given to them by the Holy Spirit. And so as, as we understand this, you, you need to know Jesus is talking to a members-only clientele. And you look down and say, well, I get that. The moment you get that, you can rest certain. Oh, I'm a members only. And you know you have the privilege of that, that insider knowledge. Supernatural learning comes from the Holy Spirit. So John can say also in 15, 26, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Insiders are those to whom the fellowship and the will of Jesus takes precedence over everything else. You get it. You understand. But to those on the outside, he says, everything is said in parables. Now, family, I'm going to tell you my belief. My belief is that he is saying that insiders get inside lessons and outsiders get nothing. And Christ's teaching will be an unknown parable to any unbeliever. They will never understand the message. The cross will never make sense to them. The work of Jesus will never have an impact. They may hear it. They may be able to retell it. They may even celebrate it to some capacity, but they will not accept and do, which is the ultimate mark of a hearer. Family, everyone who is not you are outsiders, whether they are opponents or sympathetic or unreached. So, before we start learning about the parable, let's actually read the parables. And today, to save time, we're going to read the interpretation that begins in verse 14. He says this, The sower sows the word, and, though, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. 
when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes... Excuse me. And takes away the word, what is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the word and the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Family, this morning, being accurate in interpretation is going to center on two ideas. First is who Jesus is and who is a follower. Jesus is God, Savior, and Lord. And discipleship is about hearing. And if you hear, you do. Discipleship hangs on this. Everything depends on receptivity. Disciples, insiders, are those who have received the mystery of the kingdom and hear what the Savior says. So now we want to look at the, the lessons that build off of this. We've had some time ago, we actually spent time in the the parable. And so today we want to look at the, the lessons. And if you will, I'd like to notice the, the second key idea, lessons we grasp. There's just something about it that we, we intuitively get just like the first time we read it and we recognize that as Jesus wanted that, that gut punch into his community, that gut punch has an impact in ours from the time that we first read it. And I want you to notice that the lessons that we grasp, the seed always creates a reaction. And you don't need to look too deeply. But even the seed that fell on the path had a reaction to it. Satan immediately came down and took it. And any of you can picture that, can't you? If seed, or better yet, something edible is thrown down on the ground. You just know a bird, a crow. If it's along the coastline, the seagulls are going to come in and they're going to consume anything that's grasped. Seed always has a reaction. And the seed here is referred to as the word, specifically the offer of the kingdom of God with Jesus as Lord and as Lord, obedient to his will and submissive to accept him as our only Savior. Now, at that time, 
He had not died for their sins. He expect them to surrender their will to his teaching and his presence and his offer as Messiah. For you and I today, we know a continued story. We know that he tells us that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose triumphant, proving that he died on the cross for our sins. And we accept that work as a gracious offer to us that we accept by faith. And in accepting it by faith, not only do we recognize he is our Savior, but because he is God on high, he is our boss. He directs. He determines. When we read his word, we pray to put our lives into the can of his character. We desire what he desires. Now, let's be fair. That's often an incomplete desire, and we grow in that. We desire it. And many of us who have been friends for years recognize that our walk in holiness is much more revealing today than it was earlier in our friendship. And we pray that by God's grace, it will even be more richer and wonderful in the tomorrows. But our desire, our hopes, are to surrender our wills to the will of Jesus Christ and follow Him. And so we recognize this offer and we want to respond to this offer because we like that seed. But even though it falls, it'll always have a reaction. Satan makes an effort to minimize the impact of the word. So even in the, even in the path, it has a reaction. Family, world religions don't take kindly to cursing or to condemning using their world religious leader. How many times have you ever heard Somebody striking their thumb with a hammer and go, oh, Buddha. <laughs> Did you ever hear that? I haven't. You ever hear anybody get mad at their mate and look down and say, Krishna? Never have heard it. I've never heard the, the, the Muslim community ever ever use Allah in a condemnation to the behavior of someone else or as a frustration to the person's dislike of what's going on. And yet, for some reason, what is it? The seed always causes reaction. And so, even in this moment of time, Satan tries to minimize marginalize, make impotent the person of Jesus Christ, the very offer of seed. If we can minimize the character of the seed, if we can make light of the character of the seed, the person of the seed, then all of a sudden maybe we can question the authority of the seed. The seed always, always, always creates a reaction. I want you to notice here, secondly, this morning, 
Not every soil gets the seed. And probably this is the hardest thing for most of us. We live in a world, and, and how many times have you had a conversation, walked away from that conversation, and, and asked yourself, how come they're not a Christian? How, how, they understand what I understand. They're able to agree with me on everything that I've just said. We, we've talked about the things of the, of the Bible, and they just don't get it. Why is that? Family, the, the, the seed that falls on stony ground never seems to grasp who Christ is. He is the Lord of their problems and their fears. And so the reason that a stony ground respondent is stony ground is because their ultimate priorities are on the fears of this world. Their ultimate priorities are a focus on the problems of this world. And Jesus Christ ranks in the understanding, but Jesus Christ is not king. He has no ability in their minds to make any impact of what's going on in their lives. And because of that lack of impact, they quickly fall because Jesus Christ is not providing for them what they need to get over their fears. You see, not every soil gets the seed. You see, we are safe when we have a commitment to Christ. The weedy ground struggles with priorities. The, the respondent packs life with so much that there is no time left for Christ. And family, even those of us who know Christ as Savior will struggle with that on a daily basis, don't we? How much of life do we pack in? Uh, when do we make Christ a precedent over things that we're going through? When do the things that we're going through allow us to take time away from that moment with Christ? And, and every one of us have to make that, that judgment statement, that value moment. And, and I will tell you how, your, how you go through those moments you will remember them for the rest of your lives. Again, I, I come back. I'm a now 65-year-old man, and I remember there's just a, key, a couple of key moments in my life that remind me of the priorities of Christ in, in this, the, the weedy ground moments. But I've shared with you before my father packed me up in a car and took me off to kids' choir. Now, you need to understand a fourth grader does not like kids' choir if he's a boy. There's nothing about it on a Sunday afternoon when you can be watching football and you can be watching all the Sunday afternoon sports has for you. There is nothing appealing about kids' choir. And when you have a father who also doesn't care too much about kids' choir, you're wondering... 
Why do I have to go to kids' choir? You need to understand at Christmas time, this is a confession. My father, who is a deacon of the church, and usually on the second row, on, on choir nights, on cantata nights, those of you who remember back in the day, we would sit in the back row. My dad would bring a, a jar of something to snack on. Because my dad had an attitude, if you don't preach, it ain't church. So I'm thinking, I'm going to get out of choir, man. My dad's not committed to choir. Son, get in the car. We're going to choir. Why, dad? Because our church considers it a value. And I represent the Savior. And my son represents the values of the slusher home. And the values of the slusher home is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, it, it, it communicated a lot of things at that moment. It communicated the fact that, yeah, I don't like choir either, but I love my Savior. It communicated the fact that I'm a leader to a church that values this and this church represents the Lord and the community, and I'm going to represent the Savior as they want. And the, the value moment for me, it, it will always be telling. Now, I'm not doing that to lay a guilt trip on anyone, because every one of you today are going to have that value statement in so many areas of your life of how you raise your children, of how you and your wife will handle finances. Well, how, how, how you will walk through a moment. You see, stony ground is broad. Stony ground is complex. And stony ground is very individualized. And so unless you're willing to handle stony ground and cut out anything that's a weed, you'll find that the weeds overwhelm because we live in a world of complexity. And we live in a world of value choices. And those value choices will always take us away from the priorities of Jesus Christ. And so as I give you one little illustration that made sense to me and I committed for life, you're going to have to find out a million of them for your own. But I will tell you, parents, more than anyone else, your kids will be watching that statement. And they'll be hearing those value moments. All right. Let's skip ahead before I get in more trouble. The sower just casts. The sower just casts. Now, I want to encourage you. You'll study this. You'll study this. You'll hear teachers. You'll hear any, any one of a number of people, and they'll tell you that the sower is Jesus Christ they'll not be able to commit themselves that with any confidence that the believer, or excuse me, the one sowing the seed is Jesus in this. And I want to suggest to you today, any one of us who are responsible with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the precious truth of that shared word, we're sowers at that moment. And we don't know human hearts. We don't know who will respond to the gospel, so the seed is simply cast. 
We don't need to wear guilt because they did not respond to the gospel. We do not claim success because someone did respond to the gospel. We are communicators of the gospel, and we just cast seed. We leave the receptivity to that gospel message to the Holy Spirit. Family, how many times have you heard the statement, they will never accept Christ, fall by the wayside? How many times have you heard, I just know they're ready, and they're never ready? How many times have you heard, I can't believe they've not responded? You see, with each of these, we have to see God at work. We have to recognize that He's the one, ultimately, that allows that, that, that heart to germinate the seed within. We have to let that happen. It has to be a personal thing between the individual and God on high. And God on high, we are told, has a relationship with His sheep. I know them and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. So family, I want you to see that, that these are the lessons that we often easily grasp. Let me suggest to you some lessons that we often miss. You know, we, we, we read this over and over again, and we just miss it. So as I just told you a moment, the the, the Sower just casts. I want to remind you afresh because we often do not get it. You are a seed caster. Why do I know you're a seed caster? Mark this out and mark it clear. Just because you hear, you accept, and you do, there'll be times when the seed of the gospel goes out from you. It just has to. There's nothing you can do about it. It just has to. If you are a Christ follower, the ultimate conclusion of the impact and the power of the cross will come out of your mouth. And when it does, seeds dispersed. It may not be a plan to cast, but the way in which you responded to a situation, uh, the answer to a question that was raised, your demeanor when, when life turned fearful or the moment turned tense, how you handled it, all of a sudden sets the stage for seed to be cast. And you hadn't planned on it. You hadn't thought about it. You hadn't, you hadn't had a track ready, a New Testament from Gideon's to hand out. But there it is. And all of a sudden, you had a chance to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ to somebody because they could not believe how you responded in life, worldview, holiness. And you and I have to remember, it will happen simply because we heard the gospel, we accepted it, and we are doing what Jesus tells us. And if we are doing what Jesus tells us, 
I also then can guarantee that you're a seed caster because obedience demands you and I to be seed casters. You see, why do we have a circle card? And by the way, let me quickly say, if you don't have a circle card, could you make that as a resolution? We'll, we'll, we'll give you a couple of weeks. But pick up a circle card. They're, they're at the welcome desk. Grab one, fill it out afresh, because there are people in your life that I believe God has created, placed in your life, for the specific privilege of you to love them and love them with the understanding that Jesus Christ has placed them there for you to place Jesus Christ within their view. You're a seed caster. It might be a neighbor. It might be a workmate. It might be someone that that part of your family. It might be a prodigal child or grandma and grandpa that you are separated from but need to return to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you're making this not only a matter of prayer, but a matter of seeking open-door moments to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why are you doing so? Because you do what the Savior says to do. And so I want to encourage you, please, would you grab a circle card and make that a prayerful concern for you in 2022? Men and women are in our lives, and and we want to see them having the opportunity to hear the story of the gospel. We've never asked that you communicate to the world. There can't be more than eight or ten dear friends in your life, in your circle. Pray for the moment where you just cannot believe. It's just such a surprise that the gospel comes in. That lady who's taking, who's, who's checking you out at Food for Less, <laughs> that, that individual who stops by when you're pumping gas and starts a conversation, you just don't know when it comes in, but be ready. You are a seed caster. Family, let me also say, seed casters, again, aren't worried about receptivity. We've said it before. Just throw. Just throw. You have a story to tell. It is what changed your life dramatically. And too many times we look down and don't you put all of the weight on you? You've spent, you've spent all of this time sharing Jesus Christ. You've taken, you, you've taken the bulk of that, of that coffee time together and you've poured your heart out into the gospel and they've looked back at you with empty eyes. And you go back to work or you drive home and you feel an utter and complete failure. Right? Been there? You feel shame. What I do wrong, Jesus? Please understand. I can say it multiply within this sermon this morning. Seed casters aren't worried about receptivity. God's got to be in this moment. If he's not in this moment... 
then that partnership will never be successful. And if it's only about you, you will never see someone respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Seed casters aren't worried about receptivity. They prayerfully spread seed. I want you to give you the next of this. Sometimes seed takes time to germinate. Now, if, 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 if you're in a garden, you have no problem with this. You understand this. All right? I am terrible. I want to plant the garden and kind of like be like Jack the Beanstalk. You ever, you ever, the next morning, you've got a, you've got a, you've got a stalk that reaches to the sky. That's the guy I want to be. But you know, some of those things you plant, you look down and you finally have come to the conclusion, but oh, the seeds died. And after that, there's some rain or just something happens and all of a sudden you see the soil start to crack and you go, that's the what I want. Understand, sometimes our spiritual seed takes a while to crack also. So let's go. In Mark chapter 4, even Mary called Jesus nuts. Do you understand that? Read the text of Scripture. Mary was there on the intervention that day. Mary had Gabriel, the archangel, tell her, you're going to have a special child. We already went through the Christmas season. The Magi showed up. We went through the Christmas season. The shepherd showed up and said, an angel told us. All right? And then she's still there saying, he's nuts. But where was she when Jesus Christ died? At the foot of the cross. You see, sometimes there's a while. The Pharisees, Mark 4, rejected him. Blasphemer. But by Acts 5, one of the largest groups to accept Jesus as Savior are some of the very rejectors of Mark 4. So family, let me remind you today, you stay on your knees and keep praying. You have, you have sons and daughters who have never responded to the cross. You accepted Christ in, in, in later years, and, and you want more than anything else to, to, to see the impact of the gospel on them. You just keep living, being seed casters, and you let Jesus be Jesus, and you let the seed germinate on God's time. Friends that you've cared about, people that you care dearly about, stay on your knees, stay faithful, don't write them off. Because we don't know the moment when the ground cracks. But boy, don't you want to be there when it does. Don't ever, ever forget. Let me continue. We will never determine our harvest. This is the one I hate the most. All right? Have you met Christian people who kind of do the same thing you do in life, and you can't figure out how come God uses them and does boom, 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 and you do 
Nothing. And you look down at their impact and you go, well, how come they? They're a hundredfold and I'm just a 30. Matter of fact, Lord, I think you missed mine. I'm a 10. Family, you're going to meet people far less intelligent than you. And they're going to have a far greater impact. And you'll never figure out why. You'll determine they're more holy and you will find out that they weren't. You see, harvest is supernatural. Har harvest that's supernatural doesn't make sense because it's on God's timing, God's thoughts. Sometimes you won't even know that things that were harvestable in your world, you didn't even know that they occurred and God gave you credit for something that you were giving credit to somebody else. You have no idea. But when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be happy for the harvest that we corporately saw being done for God's glory because it was kingdom done. So we won't be able to ever determine harvest. So never look down and, and say, how come this is true for me, but that person, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. I want you to give you one last one because we often forget it. Take no credit in being topsoil. Take no credit in being topsoil. You see, if Ephesians and Paul's teaching is true, you are dead in your trespasses and sins, then please understand you are as dead in your trespasses and sins as the seed that fell on the path that Satan picked up and destroyed. So you need to understand, don't ever look down and say, well, you know, it just makes sense. I'm sitting among the church people and we all kind of get along and I understand why that man knows Christ is his Savior. He just has such a tenderness about, no, 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 no. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. And by God's grace, Satan didn't eat the corn. By God's grace, he had the nutrients supplied to him to germinate the soil in a significant way. You and I will never be proud that we are topsoil. You should be surprised that you are topsoil. So, as I close, could I give you one lesson that doesn't make the radar? Just one lesson that doesn't make the radar. We can be soil enrichers. You ready? You can be soil enrichers. Let me give you Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5. It says this, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Family, you and I don't understand, we'll never understand the, the, the impact of being men and women who are in the topsoil. We'll, we'll never understand. We'll never understand. 
those priority moments that we talked about, when the cares of this world are set aside so that the priorities of Jesus Christ can be more highly impacted. We'll, we'll never know that moment. My father never knew the moment that he drove me to church would still be remembered by his 65-year-old son. Never. You never know. And yet, over and over and over again, the moment your light shines, it has an impact. And it enriches the soil of those around you. It will enrich the neighborhood. It will enrich the family. Now, moms and dads, this should have a monstrous moment for you. Never forget, your children will look back on moments that were done at five years old, seven years old, 11 years old, 16 years old, and you will never recognize it for just that passing moment of inconsequential activity or conversation, but will have eternal impact because you set aside priorities that were important for priorities that were ultimate and eternal. And you impact the soil. Now, that's no guarantee, by the way. I am not telling you that because you were a good testimony to your neighbor, your neighbor's going to follow the Lord. Because you enriched the soil of your children, your children followed. That's not the promise. The promise is, is that you are doing everything as seed casters to soil enrich those around you so that when they see the kingdom, they have a clearer eyesight toward the kingdom. So family, as, as we enter into this, never forget, God designed the parables for us to live in the real world, to confront the real world problems and, and not get so caught up in understanding parables as a thought process, as much as an emotional gut punch, that we now then take the truths and place them in our lives, that they can have an impact to reorganize us, to make an impact to affirm, to make an impact to encourage and bless us. Now, family, we have a chance in this next few moments. We want to be a part of something to see our church advance. Um, we've had two very special people join us beginning in December. Eddie and his lovely wife, Elizabeth. And she might be the bigger treasure to our church. I'm not sure. How's that for shameless sucking up right now? And we're going to take a moment and commission them. And I will tell you, I believe this to be as much soil-enhancing family as anything that we at CBC will do. So I've asked Len Jacobson, our head elder, if he would take a moment and, and recognize this impact. And then we're going to call Eddie and Elizabeth up here, and we're going to be a part of commissioning them uh, as our representatives, as our leadership 
in the lives of our kids. They're going to create an incredible triad of relationship. Mom and dad, you get all of the responsibility. But in Eddie and the work that Elizabeth will partner with him, you will get affirmation and encouragement to go out to everything that you say. All the while giving your kids a second voice that is an incredible privilege that a church can have. So we want, we want Len to come and share with you the importance of this. And I want you to give him your attention so that we can give Eddie our passion. Well, good morning. You're on the home stretch. Don't worry. I, for one, am not particularly uh, sad to see 2021 in the rearview mirror. Um, but a real high point has been the calling of Eddie and Elizabeth. It's hard to see. Where are you guys? Oh, wow. Okay. Way back. Eddie and Elizabeth. A team of dedicated CBC folks looked at our needs and the applicants, and after prayer and consideration, they felt God was calling Eddie and Elizabeth to join our family ministry here at CBC. After further consideration, prayer, the elder team confirmed that decision. And finally, you, the congregation, enthusiastically affirmed the decision to call the hotels. So they're here. They've been called and installed. We now want to take a minute to thank the Lord for his leading and commission this couple to serve here at CBC. I'm having a lot of trouble with this thing right now, sorry. It's a moment to recognize and rejoice in the call of the Lord on this couple and consider that as parts of the body, we serve one another. Eddie, you bear a big responsibility. Now, in addition to shepherding... Well, sorry folks. I don't care about your ear. <laughs> How's that work? Is that going to hold there? I think so. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Now, in addition to shepherding your wife, you are the key shepherd for youth at CBC. Your title here is Youth Ministry Director, and there are good organizational reasons for that title. However, at its core... Your calling is to pastor the CBC youth, to have a pastor's heart and a pastor's love for the flock of youth Christ has asked you to feed. Feed my sheep echoes 2,000 years through time. Here's a cool thing. When Christ spoke those words to Peter, he knew about you, he knew about me, and the others on the shepherding team here at CBC. Elizabeth, God has gifted you with a spark and a spirit that's just flat-out fun to see. In the short time you've been here, I've seen multiple instances of you connecting and reaching out to people. Good on you. Use your gifts to support your husband and youth ministry. Use the superpowers given to you by our Lord Jesus to play the role he has prepared in advance for you. Both of you. 
Youth ministry is hard. It's amazing, but it's hard. You must rely on the Spirit and work together to succeed. Cheryl's not here, so I can say this. Before the turn of the century, when Cheryl and I were young and in youth ministry, we were told how important our marriage was for youth to see. It didn't make much sense to me back then. It does now. Yours is the relationship our young people are going to see and be able to imagine emulating. As much as we hate to admit it, a bunch of us, hey 65, are old enough that we are at least partially, if not totally, invisible to youth. Scripture uses marriage as a picture many times, particularly to describe the church's relationship with Jesus. Model that for our youth. You have a big job to do. Family. Isn't it great that we've hired a fine young man to look after our youth? Well, actually, that's a trick question. I set you up. That's an awful description of the situation, and yet a place all of our minds quickly go. What's really happened here? God has called a young man, a young couple, to our family, adopted in to use the CBC lingo, a new part of the body to use the New Testament picture. They're now family. We must pray for the hotels. We must love and nurture them. We must provide an environment where they can grow into effective servants for the Almighty. We are not employers. We're family. Parents, you're not Eddie's boss. You're partners. These are not mercenaries. They're co-heirs and fellow shepherds. In a few minutes, Pastor Pete is going to lead us in a prayer time. I hope that by joining in, you are recognizing and affirming your connection to ministry at CBC and your willingness to partner with Eddie and Elizabeth as family and parts of the same body. This is a commissioning for sure, but it's also a group challenge to enter into a relationship, a covenant with one another. Perhaps the interplay of the church family and commissioning new shepherds is captured in Galatians 6. Galatians 6, 1-5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Do you see gentle, spirit-led people? Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Burden bearers. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Realistic and humble. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Taking responsibility. For each will bear his own load. We do our chores. It's all there. The fully functional family. There is no contradiction when Scripture says, bear one another's burdens, and then a verse or two later says, each should bear his own load. The word for burdens is crushing weight. And the word for load 
gets to old-time vessels and the load they were designed to carry. We work together to bear crushing weights while each one carries their own pack. What a wonderful description of family. Rally around the real need while each doing our chores. In ministry, mistakes will be made. Sorry to break you to that, that to you, Eddie, but it's true. When dealing with the challenges of youth, lots of mistakes will be made. Ministry is messy stuff because it deals with people. Think about it. Getting involved in ministry will lead to mistakes. Without ministry, I'd say less dumb things in front of a big group of people. And I wouldn't play off key on stage. But verse 3 tells us not to take ourselves too seriously. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Folks, just as Pastor had been saying, Christ is doing the real work here, and he does it through frail human beings. Christ calls us to feed sheep and bear burdens. Don't you want to be part of a church where we are looking out after each other, bearing one another's burdens while each one does their chores? As we work together to follow Christ, mistakes will be made, but Christ puts things together beautifully. Hertels, you have accepted this call, so I can confidently commission you to step into these sometimes treacherous waters, to be fishers of men, feeders of sheep. Family, any of you who are members have also extended to me the opportunity to call you in and join them. Come on, get wet. Non-members, adherents, maybe it's time to ask yourself, are you ready to be part of the body, part of this thing, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? If not, why not? Eddie and Elizabeth, we welcome you to the family and we commission you to begin the good works that the Father prepared for you in advance. Family, join with them bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Pastor? All right, here's what we're going to do. Eddie and Elizabeth, get up here. I'm so proud of you, but I also know when your mind is at work, no one else understands what's going on. So I want you two right here, elders and deacons, I want you to come up. Now you only get so quickly. Now, this is going to be, if teens, if you want to, if you want to pray with your family, that's fine, but I'm going to offer you to come and be near our church leadership. And then what we're going to do is, is everybody is going to join and we are going to, I refer to as pray by amoeba. All right. An amoeba is a one celled thing that just continues to go because it doesn't have a body. All right. We are going to be touching someone who's touching someone who's touching Elizabeth and Eddie. All right. 
So we're going to all mass to the front. We're going to trust that God's going to keep us safe. So get on up here. All right. And we're going to have a couple of our men lead in prayer, but get on up here. Get, come in there. Get, 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 get. Surround. Surround. <clears throat> Surround. Get up here and be family. Let's go. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Perfect day to have too many in attendance. Keep coming. Which will never happen, by the way. Keep coming. Sam, you're not touching anybody. Let's get up here. Keep coming. Keep coming. Travis, we love you in Christ. So be a part of the amoeba. Now hold your wife's hand. All right. Guys, if you will, we're going to begin in prayer wherever Dale is. Then we're going to go on to Christian and close with, with Ed today. If you would, let's pray. Father God, uh, many months ago, we began this process and we asked you to bring us the right people. Father, we didn't ask for Eddie and Elizabeth. We asked for your leading. Father, as we, we prayerfully went through this time and went through the selection process, we thank you for where we ended up. We thank you that Eddie and Elizabeth are here. Uh, after the multiple thousand mile journey, they arrived here safely. And Father, they've, they've embraced the opportunity to take on our kids. So Father, we, we put them into your hands. Lord, we, we again don't ask that uh, Eddie on his own wisdom and Elizabeth in her own energy uh, lead these kids. We ask that they follow the Holy Spirit, that Father, that you would guide them, that you would protect them, that you would empower them, that you would embolden them, uh, that you would give them strength and, um, if I dare say, the meanness when they need it, that you would give them the compassion and the love when they need it um, to, Father, prepare our students for the next generation. Father, we recognize what a dark and strange world it is right now, and we've asked these two um, to follow your leading here to lead our kids. So we give them to you. We pray for them. Um, and again, we offer up ourselves to surround them and protect them, to love them, to encourage them. So may we be the family that they need us to be. And Father, through all of this, we simply ask that you be glorified. Lord, uh, there's such a legacy of, of youth uh, leadership in our church, and I thank you for the family that we have, for the, for the generations that, uh, uh, that span and that serve you uh, here. And I, I pray for Eddie and Elizabeth, Lord, as, as they minister to uh, the most important um, group of, of individuals in our, in our church, our future. Lord, the next generation uh, in, in what's such a defining part of life. And so I, I just pray for um, their partnership with, um, uh, with the students, Lord, with the parents and the community. Uh, we're so excited to have them here and to have them be a part of CBC uh, and are so excited to see uh, what you do through them. Father God, I'm grateful for the work that you've been doing to uh, bring us to this moment and to this place. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you've been working in Eddie and Elizabeth and that they've been following your leading and they've recognized the call on their lives to enter ministry. Lord, I thank you that you've uh, caused us at CBC to reach out and look for the next generation of people to join in ministry and staff here at CBC. And Lord, you've brought us together and uh, we believe that it was you and uh, we recognize, Lord, um, that the only reason Eddie and Elizabeth are here is because you've called them here and they've answered that call. And I thank you for their faithfulness and their willingness to serve you. Uh, Father, whether Eddie knows it or not, there are other things he could have done with his life that would have made him more money 
and they would have been easier. Uh, but Lord, he's serving you because he loves you, and he loves your word, and he's here mm -hmm. to serve our kids. And I'm, th I'm thankful for that, Lord. Thank you so much for who you are. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd protect them as they enter ministry. Ministry will come with challenges. It'll come with temptations. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd keep them close to yourself, uh, keep them growing. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd protect their marriage. Um, there's going to be difficulties ahead for them. And Lord, for us who are um, members of the body here, I pray that you'd make us faithful to pray for them, to love them, to support them, even as they um, do the work that you've called them to do here. Uh, Lord, it's a privilege to know you. It's a joy to be part of your family. Thank you, Lord, for the bond that we share together as believers in you. And I pray that as we go from here today, we'll just be rejoicing and praising you for what you've done and for what you will do through this church in the future. Uh, thank you, Lord, for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you. Thank you.